We have such a high priest who has taken his seat at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven, minister of the sanctuary, and of that true tabernacle, set up not by man, but by the Lord. Now every high priest is appointed to offer gifts and sacrifices. Pope Francis writes, We need constantly to contemplate the mystery of mercy. It is a wellspring of joy, serenity, and peace. Our salvation depends on it. Mercy. The word reveals the very mystery of the most holy trinity. Mercy. The ultimate and supreme act by which God comes to meet us. Mercy. The fundamental law that dwells in the heart of every person who looks sincerely into the eyes of his brothers and sisters on the path of life. Mercy. The bridge that connects God and man, opening our hearts to the hope of being loved forever despite our sinfulness. During these meditations, I have not spoken about the relationship between mercy and justice. It's a foundational distinction. They're not opposed. Our God is a just God and a merciful God. He gives to each according to his due. And in view of our eternal salvation, our choice. So it's good to remember that uh, it's not a mushy mercy. And there are eternal consequences of our actions. But the Lord extends his love to us to bring us to him in heaven. And we ourselves have to be just. We can't be doormats. So we pray for that gift of integration. The focal point of tonight, following the itinerary of the retreat, is on giving forgiveness. In the past talks, I've talked about opening ourselves to love of God and receiving his mercy and forgiveness. And now that we look at ourselves, we ask, how are we being merciful and forgiving to those in our life? And we'll end our talk tonight with an examination of conscience to bring before our Lord. But first, a few preliminary points. There's a paradox in the spiritual life that we have to know, we have to have good self-knowledge and to examine ourselves but not too much. There's a type of self-love where we can over-scrutinize ourselves, And it's really not rocket science for uh, the Catholic who has mental prayer every day, is living a sacramental life. So when I talked the other day about opening the doors and the inside of our heart to let Jesus come in, it's not as though for the Catholic that's living the sacramental prayer, prayer life that there's going to be some hidden dark secret that's going to bounce out of us all of a sudden. We generally have a good knowledge of where we're at, unless our attachments in a particular sin can blind us, and that's certainly possible. So we want to pray for that balance between looking at ourselves but not being obsessed with ourselves. And that is what charity does. It brings us out of ourselves, because pride can, dis can disguise itself in many ways, including scrupulosity and over-self-reflection. In this retreat, we think, we ask the Holy Spirit in this days leading up to Pentecost, which is coming soon, 
that the Holy Spirit is like the wind, as Jesus says, that blows where it will. We cannot see from where it comes and where it goes. And so it is with the Holy Spirit. So you've made the sacrifice to come tonight, and you will be blessed by God. But the answer to your prayers may not happen right now. It may have already happened. It may happen in a way unexpected and not in the way that you were foreseeing. Oftentimes, just sitting in the presence of the Blessed Sacrament or working or relaxing, we get these inspirations from God, a grace. And even homilies can be a a type of grace, but even that is sometimes unpredictable. There's a, a woman who was hearing a sermon of a priest, and she heard something that was just cut to the heart and had a big conversion. So she met the priest after Mass and said, Father, your homily just changed my life. And he was thinking to himself, I'd really like to know what it was. Was it my uh, explanation of the Gospel of St. Matthew, or was it the application of daily life? And so his curiosity got the best of him. He says, Ma'am, if you don't mind me asking, what did I say that really moved your heart? And she said, Well, Father, about halfway through your homily, you said, Now I'm going on to the second part of my homily. And I thought, As I approach middle age, I'm getting on to the second part of my life. <laughs> So oftentimes, even a, a something that seems to come by chance, God uses that, and it keeps us humble. We want to be instruments of God's love. And in the area of forgiveness, the same thing. There's a lot of unexpected surprises, and that's beautiful. But to begin, we want to recognize that life is difficult. That's so true. Christian life is very difficult, and that can be a liberating truth. St. John Paul II saw our Christian life like this, a via sacra with some crucifying experiences that are punctuated with some momentary rests. Oftentimes, if we're not careful, we turn that on its head, thinking that life should be more or less a nice meadow that may be punctuated by some disappointments and setbacks. But the via sacra goes uphill, and it goes to the crucifixion, And St. Paul said in deep wisdom, I want to know nothing else but Jesus Christ and him crucified. This is true in the Christian life, but even in the human, our psychology. There's a book back in the 1980s, you may have heard of it, called A Road Less Traveled. It was known to be perhaps the biggest bestseller in the 1980s, written by Scott Peck, a psychologist. And he had some good insights in it. Uh, I wouldn't recommend it without qualification, but... It does have some good insights, but the first three words of his book are quite profound. He says a three-word sentence, life is difficult. And he goes on to explain that says mental health really depends on whether one can accept that truth or the reject it. If we can see life is difficult, we're willing to work, to make the sacrifices and healing, we're on our way. But those who cannot accept that truth and use so many different defenses... That's where our neurosis, emotional and mental instability can come from. So we want that integration, that truthfulness before the Lord. And the light shines in darkness, and the darkness will not overcome it. And we pray, we suffer, sometimes we go through real crucifying trials, and we say, Lord, where are you? I've been praying for years, and it seems to get worse each time. But every once in a while, the Lord will come with a little consoling embrace. And it gives us enough just at times just to take the next step. St. Teresa of Avila once said, and these are some of my favorite words 
outside of Scripture, God does not always come to us when we call on him, but he always arrives on time. God does not come to us when we call on him, but he always arrives on time. And sometimes it takes us years later to see things worked out okay. And there seemed to be a divine plan before that. So now as we look at the gift of forgiveness, we want to bring that into the big perspective of divine providence, that all things work out for the good for those who love God, but we must do our part in forgiveness, understanding that the human heart is, in certain ways, sin has made it so complex, and yet through charity and love, we become simple. In fact, by God's grace, we can become what children are by nature. Children are simple, trusting, transparent, and innocent. And through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ poured in our heart by the Holy Spirit, we can become children of the Father. But that's not one without a price, the price of the cross. So in this retreat tonight, we want to pray for the gift of forgiveness and to let go of unforgiveness in a sense of ourself. When we say not forgiving ourselves, really at foundation it means we do not trust that God has forgiven us. If we confessed our sins and we still want to confess them or doubt God's mercy, we want to even consider that as a sin against trust. To let that go, to bring it into the heart of Jesus and let him, let it burn up in his heart. And we pray also for anything in our heart that has not fully been given over to our Lord. And even tonight, if we say in our prayer, you know, I'm in a pretty good place. I've been able to forgive and I've had healing. Well, perhaps your prayer is going to lead you to pray and intercede for someone in your family or someone you know who really is struggling with unforgiveness. So we can be very powerful tonight also in intercession because it's most probably that we know someone that really cannot forgive. There's an example I'd like to share from my life. It was maybe five, six, seven years ago where the Lord taught me a lesson I was offering Mass in the Denver area uh, for some time, and I had an argument with a, a wonderful lady, and I was as much to blame, I think, as she was. It was one of those gray areas. And I was offering Mass where she went, and she sat in the first pew. From the very first moment, she would not look at me. And throughout all the Masses I offered, she had her head down in a very angry, almost tremoring and I could, I could tell that was directed against me. She'd look at her watch during my homilies and all that intentionally. And my prayer was, Lord, change this person because she bothers me. <laughs> and it really was distracting, and I thought it was a prayer that was said with a lot of love. Well, I, it wasn't working. And so ultimately it had a good ending, and we reconciled and we're very good friends now. But I learned the more perfect prayer that the Lord was trying to tell me was, Dear Lord, let me love her as you love her, even in her weakness, out of my weakness. There's another example of perfect love from Blessed Mother Teresa of Calcutta. And this was told to me by a priest who witnessed this event. During Mother Teresa's uh, time, she was 
Superior General of the Missionaries of Charity, and it came to a time when she got older that she not, did not want to be reelected. She really wanted to step down and to go into more of a life of solitude. While her sisters wanted, and they indeed re-elected her as Mother Superior, General of the Order. And uh, this priest said that this uh, sister stood up and before the whole community pointed her finger and accused Mother Teresa of ambition, of trying to hold on to power, and all these terrible things right in her presence. And people in the room knew that was false. And really, the beautiful thing was, Father looked at Mother Teresa, and he said these words, that Mother looked at her accuser with such deep love. She could love in that accusation, because she could see Jesus hidden in that person. We want to pray for that grace in our hearts, to have that love of Jesus recognizing our Lord in others. And this is important, particularly in families, because if we carry anger within us, particularly at funerals it happens. We priests know when sometimes we're doing funeral planning, and along with grief, there's anger, and it gets all mixed up, and we don't understand the heart. So we want to pray for to be released from that. And there's a great thing for spouses that I learned, and there was this couple that they had their issues and they were able to work through it. But near the end of their lives, some, a younger couple asked, what's your secret to happiness in marriage? And they said, well, before we go to bed, we both kneel down and ask ourselves if we offended them, our spouse, in any way. And then we ask for forgiveness, taking literally the words of St. Peter, do not let your, the sun go down on your wrath. And that new love can be reawakened again. There's a writer, Osanius, in the 4th century, wrote these words, Wife, let us love as we have lived, nor ever lose the little names that were the first night's grace. And if we do not do that, whether in marriage or family, in the parish, at work, something that happens is very gradual. You remember from your geology class, there's a stalactite and stalagmite. I remember the G in the stalagmite means it goes from the ground. If you look at that uh, from day to day, week to week, even month to month, you won't notice any difference. But with every drop of water, there's going to be a little piece of sediment that remains on that stalagmite or stalactite. And so if we let a day go by without forgiving, we may not notice a difference from day to day or week to week or even month to month, but after some time, there'll become a hardness in our heart, almost imperceptible. That's why we want to renew that love in our heart. Sometimes, as the prodigal son, we come to our senses. and said, I've held this grudge for many times, for many years. Now I need to bring it to confession, to bring it to our Lord. So in the retreat so far, we've talked about receiving divine mercy, receiving God's love and forgiveness, and then now wanting to give it to others. So before I read a gospel passage, I wish to uh, just make two reflections on what forgiveness is. It is nearly impossible to speak the words, I forgive, and expect all the hurt and pain to vanish. 
One must be very careful not to let the hurt and pain stir up feelings of unforgiveness. Instead, one should be on constant guard to pray to God every time the hurt resurfaces and beg God to heal the memory and pain. Do not become discouraged with yourself when you want to forgive but feel that you cannot. Just the fact that you want to forgive is pleasing to God. The rest will come in time with God's help and by our constant prayers asking for the grace to forgive. Healing a memory is much like healing a wound. It takes time. In Matthew 18.21, Jesus proclaims that we should forgive seven times 70 times. That's why we have to keep bringing it up. Even if we don't feel, we bring it back into the sacred heart of Jesus. And it become a very difficult task at times. But unforgiveness is a death to the soul, and this death is reflected in the lives of those who are unforgiving. When we are unforgiving, we store up hatred and revenge, and this is what makes us unhappy, depressed, filled with anxiety, and the like. Once we forgive, we find that this weight is lifted from us, we're able to love, and we are free. So it is possible, but it's not instantaneous, as we know. Second question, why do we sometimes refuse to forgive? Some people do not forgive because in their mind, they believe that they are getting even with the individual who hurt them. By not forgiving, they feel that they are in control and now have the power to punish those who have hurt them. What they do not realize is that the unforgiving person suffers far more than the enemy does. If Jesus were not to forgive those who crucified him, would they have suffered from his unforgiveness? Of course not. Jesus' response to those who hurt him was, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. So the grace we ask in tonight is that uh, beautiful gift of loving as Jesus loves, which oftentimes is very concrete. In the great novel, Brothers Karamazov by Dostoevsky, a character Father Aloysius says, Love in action is a harsh and dreadful thing compared to love in dreams. It's easy to love humanity, but not so easy to love a concrete neighbor. And so with that in mind, I'm just going to ask five questions that we can pray about. And then I'll pray the Gospel of Matthew a part of it, uh, to bring this to light. First of all, have we been able to forgive ourselves in the sense that do we trust in God's mercy and forgiving our sins? And second, do we let God forgive us? And have we really opened our heart to him and let go of those sins we've confessed and brought them into the heart of Jesus. With regards to our neighbor, are we able to pray for the person who has hurt us, the person or persons who have hurt us? Can we pray for them? And if we don't feel the power, we ask, as always, the strength of the sacred heart of Jesus to love through us. That's what St. Therese did for the sisters who drove her crazy. <laughs> she said, I cannot love my sister. Jesus, I need your love in my heart to love them. So are we able to pray for the persons who have hurt us? Number four, 
Do we still feel revenge towards the persons who have hurt us? Those aren't simply memories. You know, the memories last, but the memories that go into an act of the will, a desire for revenge. And then finally, can we see the persons who hurt us in heaven with us? Can we see them in heaven enjoying God for all eternity? Jesus says, I say to you, one must forgive not seven times, but seven times seventy. That is why the kingdom of heaven may be likened to a king who decided to settle accounts with his servants. When he began the account, and a debtor who was brought before him owed him a huge amount. Since he had no of paying it back, his master ordered him to be sold, along with his wife, his children, and all his property, in payment of the debt. At that, the servant fell down, did an homage, and said, Be patient with me, and I'll pay you back in full. Moved with compassion, the master of that servant let him go and forgave him the loan. When that servant had left, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a much smaller amount. He seized him and started to choke him, demanding, Pay back what you owe. Falling to his knees, his fellow servant begged him, Be patient with me, and I will pay you back. But he refused. Instead, he had him put in prison until he paid back the debt. Now when his fellow servants saw what had happened, they were deeply disturbed and went to their master and reported the whole affair. His master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you your entire debt because you begged me to. Should you not have pity on your fellow servant as I had pity on you? Then in anger his master handed him over to his torturers until he should pay back the whole debt. So will my heavenly Father do to you unless each of you forgives his brother from his heart. And that is the key of that petition in the Our Father. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And that is a beautiful gift to be able to love as Jesus loves. And it's in the Eucharist that we find this blessing. It is said of some desert monks, and this I would like you to ask in particular for this gift, all of us ask, that the sign of holiness is in the, in the capacity for compassion, in the ability to identify with weakness, to sympathize with suffering, and above all in refusal to judge the hearts of others. It is the fire of the Eucharist that burning in us will consume all that is harsh, unbending and ready to judge, leaving only the pure flame of mercy that gives warmth and light. So the Eucharist comes into us and we ask the dear Lord Jesus that it may grow in flame, that we may become living witnesses of God's mercy, to receive forgiveness from God and also from others, that we may be very gracious when someone apologizes to us, that we don't make it difficult for them when they apologize. We're very blessed. So likewise, we can do the same and approach others and ask for forgiveness in our hearts, in our words, in our actions. We want to bring uh, our prayer to Jesus through Mary, and tomorrow, 
at the Mass, the final talk, you'll kind of come to a culmination point of living a Eucharistic life in joy despite suffering, in fact, joy in suffering, and also to see Mary as our Mother of Mercy and our good angels as the ministers of mercy. And for these graces, we now ask Mary, Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. 